0: Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to be reading verse 7 through 10 in a text that has become controversial over some ambiguity concerning the thorn that Paul speaks of. Paul was a man that was especially blessed of God. When you say the apostle, then the next word that follows is usually Paul, isn't it? the apostle and you say Paul because it just seems like he is the epitome of what apostleship should be about. Apostle is a word that means what? One who is sent. One who is sent. And in every respect of the word, Paul is an apostle of the Lord Jesus. Originally, apostle meant the original apostles were those that saw the Lord Jesus face to face, or the original disciples and uh, if you remember Paul's claim to apostleship was that on the road to Damascus he had this experience with the Lord Jesus and the exchange uh, who art thou Lord I am Jesus whom thou persecutest so Paul became the leading figure and though Jesus gave us a lot of information about how we should live our lives and how we should have a attitude of loving our neighbor as ourself he didn't tell us very much about church And he didn't tell us very much about structure, and he didn't tell us much about procedure in the church. He simply said, uh, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, it was Paul who came along that gave us those definitive things about congregational life and about church as we have come to know it. The qualification for leaders in the church and the responsibilities of leaders in the church. And all of those things we owe to the Apostle Paul. In fact, he's actually called the Aristotle of the New Testament church. And we know what a thinker that Aristotle was. So the equation there would say that the Apostle Paul was a very cerebral person. He had a lot of intelligence. And, well, he actually said that he was Hebrew of the Hebrews, Pharisee of the Pharisees. He What he was saying was, I am everything I'm supposed to be as far as, qualifications go he said I'm of the tribe of Benjamin and Benjamin is the tribe from which comes the Kings you know so there there's all kinds of uh, ambiguity about Paul's thorn in the flesh listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of these revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh and then, in my opinion, he identifies the thorn, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Listen to what he's saying. Three times I was really in earnest and sincerity with God about this issue of this thorn, this constant being pricked by that, that thorn. I went through my whole life, he says, having that presence ever there with me. And he said, I prayed three times that it might depart. He's telling what his expectations were. Do you pray with expectation? He prayed with expectation that it might depart from me. But have you ever had God to surprise you when he didn't do what you expected? That's kind of the closeness of what we're going to talk about today. He said, I, I, I asked the Lord that this would depart from me thrice, but every time I asked him, on all three occasions, the Lord responded with the same answer. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. He didn't say, I'm going to remove the thorn. He said, I'm not going to do what you expect. I'm not going to do what you are looking for. Uh, the answer to that is no. But I am going to give you grace. When God says no, it's usually because he has something greater than your expectation to give you. In other words, when he closes a door, it's usually because he has a larger and better door to open for you. Amen? Isn't that great? That when I I, I become a little angry with God because he doesn't do what I expect, then he surprises me by giving me something that was so much better than my expectation you see so many times when we want to limit God and put him in in a box that he just surprises us that he always operates outside the box I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart and he said unto me my grace is sufficient for thee my strength is made perfect in weakness well we know strength and weakness are on both sides of the pole they're exact opposites How does God take those two terms, join them together, and say, My strength is made perfect in that kind of situation? Most gladly, therefore, most gladly. Somebody say gladly. Most gladly. Are you gladly today? Are you gladly? The Bible said, This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad. It's a choice then to be glad. Could be sad, could be mad, but you choose to be glad. Come on, somebody. We ought to know that that gift that God gives you is this day, which is a day in your life. Amen. And the Lord gives it to you to manage. And it's up to you to determine what that day is going to be about. Amen. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Therefore, he said, I will gladly, gladly, with gladness, the Bible said, we should enter into the house of the Lord. With gladness we should come before his presence with singing. With gladness and joy we should enter into his house and we should come before him with with singing, with exultation. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. You mean when the trials and difficulties and hardships come? When the grind gets so tough Rather than complain and grumble, I will glory in my infirmities. I will praise the Lord, doxa, doxa is the Greek word for glory. So, a doxology, logia is an expression, so that he says, Most gladly then will I glory in my infirmities. Most gladly then. Will I offer praise to God in the midst of my dilemma? Well, most of the time our dilemma knocks all the praise out of us. Most of the time we'd rather retell the story to someone that will give us a little bit of, I am so sorry. And our temptation as fleshly and earthly beings is to seek for that kind of affirmation. Well, I know how you feel. I'm so sorry you're going through that. But wouldn't it be good good to say, somebody say, how you doing today? You say, oh, I I could be better, but praise the Lord. God's been good to me, and I thank God I'm as well as I am. I glory in my infirmities, and there's a reason why he said, I glory most gladly will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Could it be that the reason why you have no more power is because you don't gladly glory in infirmities? If the power of Christ is given to me in a proportion as to my glorying and rejoicing in Christ, then possibly possibly the lack of glorying in Christ and infirmity has resulted in little or no power. Do you want to pray with power? Do you want to worship with power? Do you want to serve with power? Do you want to witness and testify with power? Oh, everything we do, we want it to be with strength and power, don't we? So the power comes, he said, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. Somebody say pleasure. I take pleasure. Fourth of July, pleasure. I take pleasure in infirmities. Infirmities there is translated weaknesses, physical weakness, financial weakness, domestic weakness, relational weakness. I I glory, he said, I take pleasure in the times when I am attacked by the adversary. In reproaches, when I, I look bad, when I did some things that I'm not really proud of, I did some shameful things, in reproaches. In times when I tarnished my testimony. Times when I really didn't uh, cast the light of God's grace like I should. Times when I didn't act like a Christian like I should have. Times when I misspoke and said things I shouldn't have said. Come on somebody. In reproaches. In reproaches. In necessities. When I really, really need God to do something, I take pleasure in the times when those needs come. That's a very difficult one, isn't it? It's hard to praise God for sustenance in times of necessity. In persecutions, well, there's a tough one. It's hard to stand up and say, glory to God, praise His name, my God, I give you glory. When people are calling you every kind of a scalawag in the world. When people are spreading false rumors about you and saying mean things about you. To say, I glory in my infirmities, my reproaches, and my persecutions. Glory in persecutions. How can you glory in persecutions? Because Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted, for great is your reward in heaven. Reward in heaven. You mean there's a reward in heaven? You preached the other day that we have an inheritance that's laid up for us in heaven. Now you're telling me I've got a reward in heaven? Because persecution results in reward in heaven. That's good doctrine, I like that. In distress for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, that I am made strong. What is it that enables us to turn a weak situation around and turn it into a position of strength? What is it in us that gives us the confidence in the presence of enormous opposition? That brings deliverance from the enemy's snare. That gives me hope as an anchor of the soul. That gives me strength to endure when the journey is long. It helps me reach the throne room to find help in time of need. That assures me that God hears and answers prayers of a fervent effectual prayer. It's grace that causes me to rejoice in times of adversity. It's grace that generates faith to believe that when the trumpet sounds, our loved ones are gonna get up out of the grave and see we'll give up the dead that are in it and we shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be the Lord. It's grace that gives us the faith to believe that, the confidence to know that. Well, don't pity Pat. Come on and clap your hands for glory of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 and 9, the Apostle Paul said, I am the very least of all the apostles. I am not meet to even be called an apostle because I persecuted the church because of what I used to be. You know, a lot of people would like to put labels on you and remember you and recognize you and call you by what you used to be and what you used to do. Amen. They won't come up to date and sing the song they just sang, I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. Hey, it takes a person of faith to stand up under that kind of labeling and say, no, that's not what I used to be. That's, that person is dead. That person died. That person is buried with Christ. That person is crucified with Christ. That person no longer exists. That person has no more power, no more strength, no more life in me. That person is gone. That person is dead. Hey, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not worthy of apostleship because I was a persecutor of the church. I not only spoke bad things about it, I participated in the persecution. I stood by and held the coat while people threw stones and killed Stephen. I was on my way to Damascus to arrest Christians and bring them back to imprison them and beat them because they were Christians when God had an encounter with me. I had an encounter, an encounter that he said, I've never forgotten. That encounter changed me. That encounter translated me. It transformed me. It made me into something different than what I had always been before hallelujah and you know what every time he gave his testimony he repeated the same thing when he appeared before Festus hey Festus and charged said what are these charges against you he said I was on the road to Damascus and a bright light shined upon me he went before Felix and Drusilla they said explain these charges uh, that have been brought here against you for stirring up the whole city by casting a spirit out of a girl he said I was on my way to Damascus a bright light shined down upon me. And I heard a voice and it said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. When he went before the, the, the king that said, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian, King Agrippa. He came before Agrippa and Agrippa said, what are these charges that have been brought again? He said, I was on my road to Damascus. And a bright light shined. That conversion experience was such a reality to him. He told it every time somebody asked about his life. He said, let me tell you how the Lord changed me. The greatest thing you've got is your testimony. The Bible said a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. The testimony that you own, the testimony that you possess, don't ever tarnish that testimony. And don't ever stain and taint that good name that you have as a Christian. Don't let words of yours ever, ever cause pain and distress. Don't let actions of yours ever be inconsistent with what Jesus told us to do. Amen? Amen? Why? So that you'll have a testimony. A test is so you'll have a testimony. A testimony means that you have, have a, a, a reputation. It means you've established yourself as a person of faith, you've established yourself as a person of grace. Boy, that's great. I love that. Paul said, I'm the very least. And from that, that very name is synonymous with Christian. Action and Christian behavior. I am the least he felt so unworthy of that title We need to connect these things that God connects and separate things that God separates God connects praise with Difficulty when Paul and Silas were in jail in Philippi the Bible said at midnight They sang praises unto God the tenth verse of that same chapter says this but Did you know but is one of the biggest words in the Bible? What do you mean, pastor? There's only three letters in that word. Yes, but it's one of the biggest words in the Bible. Because when God butts in, when God puts but in the equation, it cancels out what was said before. But, hallelujah, the grace of God. But by the grace of God, I am not worthy to be an apostle. I'm not worthy to have any part in leadership in the church, he says. But, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. The grace that the Lord showed toward me in transforming me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Not I, but the grace of God which was in me. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that faith and grace are joined together. I'm saying what we believe and what we expect is by grace. I'm saying that what we should pray for is that by the grace of God, He would have His way and His will and shaping and molding and conforming us to the image of His dear Son. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. I love the message. Many of you haven't discovered the message. I often preach and I quote from King James because that's the way I learned to memorize Scripture. But I like the way Eugene Peterson puts this particular passage. It's uh, still Paul's words right in the cart. Listen to what it says in chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. He says, it was fitting that I bring up the rear. Well, I don't want to be at the tail end of anything, Brother Jerry. Well, the Apostle Paul said, it was fitting that I should bring up the rear. I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle of apostles. As you well know, having spent all of those early years trying my best to stamp God's church right out of existence. But because God was so gracious, so very generous, here I am. And I'm not about to let this grace go to waste, he said. It was not in vain. I'm not about to waste the grace that God spent on me. I'm not about to squander. I'm not about to to, uh, cast a, a shadow upon the great grace that God gave to me. I'm not going to let that grace go to waste. Haven't I worked hard trying to do more than any of the others? Even then, my work didn't amount to all that much. It was God giving me the work to do and God giving me the energy to do it it wasn't me it was God giving me the energy it was God giving me the work it was God who was in control of my life praise God is that what you want is that what you desire uh, not my expectations but the Lord's will and the Lord's purpose for my life all of us want those good things all of us want those those that we want to pray prayers and get immediate answers Amen. But expectation is a, is a tremendous thing. I, Paul is saying, I, I just am what I am. Am what I am. That Popeye spirit must have got a hold of him. <laughs> I am what I am, and that's all that I am. Spit out the germs and eat all the worms. I am what I am. Wow. Wow. Grace will give you a new focus, a new attitude, a new goal, and a new objective. In the absence of God's grace, we start to make excuses, and the testing and the testing takes its toll on us, and we lose the cutting edge, and we become dull, dull of hearing, dull of doing the Word of God. That old spirit, I, I just am what I am. I, I'm sorry, I can't help it. I just am what I am. I've heard some people say, well, I, I really don't care. I'm doing my best. I can't help it because I chase women. God shouldn't have made them look so good and be so pretty. God is the one who made them look so good. I can't help it. I have to drink to cope. I can't help it if I have to snort and take pills and shoot up and deal to deal with life. It's God's fault. He shouldn't have made me like this. You see, without grace, life just beats you to death in all of its spheres of existence. The trial can dissolve your reason, affect your praise and your worship. You can be so deceived that alternative means of relating to God apart from his word become an option for you. I've had people say to me, I serve God in a different way than you do. I say, well, how do you serve? Well, I just see this big football team and God is my quarterback, <laughs> brother. Talk about a separation from the Word of God when you can associate the grace of God with video games, and you can substitute what God says. Some say, "Oh, I, I'm a tree hugger, brother. Jerry. I believe God is nature. When I get out there in nature, brother, I just look around. And I just feel God. When I go to the beach, I just stand there and I just feel God." I don't need to go to church. I, my best place is on the beach. You might say I have a beach ministry. I just get my spiritual met, needs met just being out in the wide open spaces where my mind can get peace. Turn to Matthew chapter 11 verse 2 through 9. You say, Paul, how did you deal with that? He said, I I joined grace with faith. I connected the two. I put them because they belong together. Grace and faith go together. You see, no wonder. He said, I've been walking out my calling. Five times I received 40 stripes, saved one. I've been stoned and left for dead. Fasting's off. Floating a day and a half on the sea, abandoned. I've had shipwreck. I've been cast out but not forsaken, persecuted but not destroyed. What a grind this preaching of the gospel had been. But for every moment of that grind, there was a sufficient grace. God said, my grace is sufficient. Whatever, shipwreck, accusation, whatever, persecution. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Matthew 11, 2 through 9 tells a story about A man named John the Baptist. Anybody know John the Baptist? Well, let me introduce him to about 80% of you today. John the Baptist was the man that was the forerunner of Christ. He said, I'm not that light. The Bible said he was not that light, but he came to bear witness of that light. He was one that cried out in the wilderness. He was one that preached the acceptable year. He was the one that preached... The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. When John, chapter 2, Matthew 11. When John was in prison. What? John was in prison and he heard about the deeds of the Messiah and he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf ear they hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And John's disciples were leaving. Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Why did you come out here in the wilderness to see a reed swayed by the wind? This guy's not a, not a, not a swear of reeds. In fact, if he had a Twitter account, he'd probably get uh, written up. I'd say they'd censor because he just flat footed, told you exactly how it is. But the most thing he'd get quick kicked off of Twitter for is calling names. Don't act like you don't tweet. Bunch of you Twitters sitting around here. You know what he tweeted out? Oh you generation of snakes. You bunch of vipers. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? I do get you kicked off of Twitter. Post that one on Facebook and see if you don't get a little note. Don't do that. <laughs> Hey, John the Baptist wouldn't really fit in miniature. I, I, I'd like to see his uh, resume that an overseer would present to a church for being pastor. Brother, John the Baptist was tough. Buddy, talk about, I remember my first revival. It was at Gunnersville, Church of God. W.W. W. Parker was the pastor there. You know what his nickname was? Mule Skinner. Boy it was tough. He'd preach, he'd say, I felt a little kickback on that. I'll just kick it back at you. He said, You didn't like that? You just kiss old number 10 right there. Rough. I remember how he introduced me, Lisa, that first night. I was 18 years old. He got up and he said, This boy that's coming to preach for us tonight, I know this boy. I know his mama. I know his daddy. His mama's a wholeness woman. His daddy's a wholeness preacher. He's gonna take your hide and he's gonna nail it up here on Grant Mountain. And he's gonna stretch your hide down here in this valley and he's gonna tan your hide. And my whole sermon just evaporated. Lord, have mercy. I'm gonna have to get up here and do something to make these folks not be mad at me. John the Baptist was a W.W. W. Parker. Yeah, brother, he just was so abrupt and was so firm in what he, he believed. Jesus said, were you expecting to come out here and find a reed blowing around? You didn't find it in him, did you? Well, I want to tell you how John came into existence. He's part of the Christmas story, you know when Mary got that visit from the angel and said, blessed art thou among women, highly favored. You're going to have a baby born of the Holy Ghost. You're not going to know a man, but the Holy Spirit will move upon you and you will conceive and bear a child. And that child shall be the Savior. He'll be the Messiah. He is the one that... Israel looks for. He is the one that's going to bring promise and blessing and deliverance and healing for Israel. He is the one the prophets have spoken of. And the Bible said immediately when she got through with the angel, and the angel told her so many marvelous things. How can this be, she said, and the angel explained it. Immediately when the angel left, she got everything together and she took off over to her cousin's house. What was her name? Elizabeth. You'd do good in Bible trivia, wouldn't you? Elizabeth. What was her husband's name? I heard some one. One out of 250 or 300, got it? Zacharias. And the angel, when he told Zacharias, he kind of said, I'll tell you, we're pretty old. I, I don't much think that's going to happen. And the angel said, well, you just shut your mouth. You won't say another word until after that baby's born. We don't need anybody talking any kind of mess. Yes, amen. Come on, somebody! We don't need any of that negative stuff. We don't want to kill it before it ever gets started. And the Bible said when Mary walked in, Elizabeth had been visited by that that angel. She'd been she was had had that baby. And she was several months expecting. Somebody say expecting. So Mary who had been told she needed to start expecting. When you get expecting, visiting expecting, then you're usually going to get something good to happen. And when Mary walked in, the Bible said the baby leapt in the womb of Elizabeth and she was filled with the Spirit. When the baby that was in... Mary caused the baby that was in Elizabeth to jump. Glory to God. I'm telling you, you need to have Christ in you. You need to have Jesus in you because the Jesus in you will cause the Jesus in somebody else to jump and leap for joy. That's why you need to be careful who you sit by when you come to church. You need to sit by somebody that's expecting. In fact, you probably ought to do your little uh, interview when you walk in and say, hey, I'm thinking about sitting here. Are you expecting? Because I'm expecting. And if you're expecting, (laughs) there's something that causes excitement when two expecting folks get together. Hey, if you see somebody sitting around doing Candy Crush, during church, move. You see somebody texting and going on in church, get up and leave. You need to go somewhere where they're focused. Go sit down with somebody that's listening. Go get with somebody that's paying attention. Somebody that's expecting God to do something because if you'll join yourself to an expecting person, hallelujah, something expecting will happen in you. It is all by grace that it might be by faith. Not ought ought to put a sign up somewhere, reserve a section, expecting people. If you're expecting, I guarantee you we'd have a bunch of maternity folks sitting all in that place. Expecting. If you're expecting, sit here. Amen. I'll guarantee you one thing. If I can get a whole section of expecting folks, the preaching will just turn up just a little bit and get a little bit hotter. Amen. Because expecting people are easy to preach to. Expecting people are, are focused. Expecting people are, are anxious about what God is about to do. When John was in prison, he sent over his disciples and said, Go talk to Jesus and, and, and see what, it, in fact, ask him if he really is the one or should we look for another? Well, my Lord, you know, prison will make you do stuff. Prison will make you say dumb things. Prison will make you act dumb. And here, this guy, he is a baby, leaping. And now he's grown. And now he's got a call of God on his life, and he's preaching the gospel. Glory to God. And great things are happening. People are coming and repenting because he preached repentance. You know what he preached about? Repent ye. Repent, get right with God. Now I want to tell you, that probably won't be popular preaching in this culture we're living in right now to tell people what they're doing is wrong and you need to repent. To tell people that sin is wrong and you'll go to hell for it and you need to get right with God. That won't make you very popular right now, but it is true. But that's what he preached. Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's what he said. I indeed baptize you with water. But one is coming after me, the likes of whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then he said, whose fan is in his hand. The original Greek means the winning, winnowing fork. It's a, a tool like a pitchfork where you winnow hay and roll it up into rolls. A winnowing, a winnowing fork whose winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor. And the wheat he will gather into the garner, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Woo! Now if I got an evangelist to come, and the first night he got up, he said, "Oh, ye vipers and snakes, who hath warned you to flee the wrath to come, all your wrongdoing, you're going straight to hell for that. God's going to get you for that kind of carrying on, that way of Acting, God don't put up with that. God will separate the wheat from the chaff. God will have a judgment one day. There's going to be a judgment day. And God's going to take care of all of this. What he was saying was go up there, disciples of mine, and check out this preaching that Jesus is doing and see if he's preaching what I'm preaching. I'm expecting. He will be preaching like I preach. Grace and faith. Faith means that a negative circumstance can still hold potential for developing good, positive things in your life. It means that I can walk into something dark and light it up because of my faith. Faith is an expectation to know that even if the sequence of events in my life don't make sense, God who is inside of me is outside of time and he knows the beginning and he knows the ending so I must trust him to lead in paths of righteousness because he knows the ending from the beginning. In other words, before the movie ever starts, he's already shot the closing scene. That's good. You ought to shout at that. You've been around church long enough to know when you shout at certain stuff. That's good. He knows the closing scene before it's ever been shot. He knows your future before you ever live through it. He inhabits eternity, all of my tomorrows. He knows all of my future. He holds everything in the palm of his hand. He's in charge of it all, and he can make grace occur where you wouldn't expect faith allows me to know that i'll live to see the goodness of the lord in the land of the living that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and i'll dwell in the house of the lord forever this is the day the lord has made in my constant companion this day are goodness on my right hand and mercy on my left hand my bodyguards are goodness and mercy Buddy, we're gonna have an altar service here in a minute and all of y'all need to get a good dose of the Holy Ghost baptism because that kind of stuff ought to make you shout. Glory to God. Are you kidding me, Pastor? That that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Faith is expectation. John was a miracle baby. That angel prophesied his birth but now he's sitting in prison and he's got, still got expectations. Did you know expectations is contagious? Did you know expectation is contagious? Did you know zeal is contagious? Did you know that dismal gloom and despair is contagious? You just hang around it a little bit and you'll know what it is. Amen. Amen. But if you hang around people that are expecting, that are believing that God's goodness and God's mercy, that they will live to see the goodness of God. Somebody say goodness of God. God. I'm not going to live to see the badness of the devil. I'm going to live to see the goodness of God. Whoa, that's good. There are prisons that we go through. Come and help me quit, Connor. Matthew said, go back and tell John what you hear and what you see. Listen, the blind receive sight, the lame are walking, those who have leprosy are getting cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being preached. Hallelujah. But Jesus said, left out that part that is enumerated in Luke for us, that he will set the captives free and that he will deliver them out of their prison house. Why did he not tell him? say, go back over there and tell John that uh, he's also going to bring freedom for prisoners? He left that one out. Well, I really need him to tell me about freedom from prison because that's where I'm at. I don't need to hear about deaf people. I don't need to hear about people that can't talk. I don't need to hear about leprosy. I'm not a leper. You'd be surprised at the people that walk out that door every day. Well, I sure enjoyed his message, but I didn't know that apply to me. It was good. It's true what he said, but I don't know how that applies to me so John said go up there and see if he's preaching what I'm preaching and Jesus said you go back and tell him the good news is being proclaimed deaf or hearing dead are raised lepers cleansed lame leaping go back and tell him that people are being healed that God is doing great things and the winnowing fork was not a part of it the fire the, the, the burning the other, other words In other words, it just wasn't what he expected. Wasn't what he expected. Really, God doesn't want to meet your expectations because he wants to exceed them. The reason he doesn't want to reward my faith is that he wants to raise the level of my expectation. His purpose is so much more important than my preference. Romans 4, 16, therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace put grace and faith together. By faith, Moses chose to accept God's grace to become a great leader. Hallelujah. By faith, David chose to believe and receive God's grace to kill a giant. By faith, Esther decided to trust God and saw grace for a nation. By faith, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Daniel experienced grace to shut the mouths of lions. Samson found grace to recover and destroy the enemy. Paul and Silas found grace to sing praise at midnight. Peter found grace to walk on water to the Lord Jesus. And because those people found grace, you can find grace. Hebrews 11 says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, and obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, and wax valiant in flight, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Knock, knock. Sir. Oh, come on. I know it's 4th of July. <laughs> knock, knock. UPS. 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 Unbelievers Propaganda Service. Oh. <laughs> Got some packages for you. Well, what are they? Well, where's one here says anger? Here's another one that says enmity. Here's one that says strife. Here's another package that says greed. Here's another one that got hatred. One says jealousy. One says envying. Hey, I don't want any package you got. Just return it to sender and mark delivery refused. See, the devil uses disappointment to destroy your faith. God uses disappointment to build your faith because he always has something so much better. Stand with me, please. God, this country will celebrate an Independence Day this week, but a greater independence was achieved for us 2,000 years ago on a hill called Golgotha at Mount Calvary where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish that old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to that old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless your name today. We give you all honor and all glory and all praise. Thank you for every valley. Thank you for every situation, every circumstance that in weakness we were made strong. Thank you for the challenge that is before this church today. For if we never had a problem, we wouldn't know your grace and faith could solve it. And we just proclaim victory today, O Lord Jesus, in this house. You are Lord over this house, whose house are we. And we praise you and give you glory and give you honor. God we dismiss from this place in your name and I ask you that you would receive glory O Lord this day and days that will follow from the word of the Lord was spoken to us today through Jesus Christ the master of the art of living and our savior amen and amen. God bless you and God go with you is our prayer. I hope you have a great week of the fourth amen. While you're celebrating be careful because we love you amen.